Welcome to Holy Conundrums Podcast, where we talk about church problems, and sometimes we get to a solution, although we really like to talk about problems. I'm joined today by Jacob King, who is the founder of Dropout, which is a ministry that is using media to reach out to the nuns, not the religious sisters, because they don't listen and watch media but rather the not affiliated, who are the ones who've left the church and left religion. So welcome, Jacob King, to the podcast. I'm happy to have you today. Yeah, thanks for having me. One of my problems, podcast interviews, I tend to like to do a, hey, how's it going, before I get started on the record and end up having like a really interesting conversation before we hit record. And I was like, okay, let's start recording. So we were like (laughs) mid-conversation. And I was like, oh man, we should get this recorded. But anyway, you're a founder of an apostolate which is relatively new. And we were talking about the the challenges of being a Catholic entrepreneur. Tell us a little bit about your process of founding your apostolate and and kind of the early stages of it. Oh, man. I would say like the key word for it is mess. And well, let's say two, mess and hope. Yeah, (laughs) Like there is a process, which is cool because I was coming from the Archdiocese of Philadelphia and I had Archbishop Chaput. And I was hired. I never dreamed. So I never dreamed of going to a diocese. Uh, Like when you're in ministry, you're not like, dude, if I could just make it into the chancery, (laughs) my dreams would be complete. Sit behind a desk and yeah, yeah, yeah. work, work at a chancery where there's no problems and no challenges to. But I ended up there in a weird way. I was working in campus ministry at West Virginia University. And I became close with Bob Lesnevsky, the founder of Vagabond Missions. So it was near Steubenville. So I'd have the Steubenville guys come and speak. And Bob and I always connected and like had a ton of fun. And uh, there was a music ministry job that came open. I was like, dude, will you take that job and just come work with me? And we can just go make a mess on campus. He's like, oh, bro, that would be awesome. So he took the job. (laughs) There's so much detail. We had to change over a priest like every year. And so the new priest that came in, if we're talking about getting real, maybe we can go into it in depth. But anyway, so I worked with Bob for a little bit, but then the new priest that came in didn't like the style. I had a huge conversion and I was a high school dropout. So that's part of the reason for the name dropout. I'm going after religious dropouts. I was a religious dropout. I was a high school dropout. But in evangelization, I always keep the focus on me. So it's not calling them dropouts. I'm the dropout. But I had this big conversion. So I just always had this heart like, I want to go after the lost. I want to get new people in here. And coming into the Catholic world, like I kind of thought that most people would have the same desire. But then you realize like the Catholic Church isn't very good (laughs) as a a general whole (laughs) of getting new people into our faith. Like Judaism, this would always, I was shocked. And Sherry Waddell's forming intentional disciples. Orthodox Judaism is doing a better job at bringing new people into our faith. And they don't even believe in evangelization. Like Judaism is more of like a family, a heritage thing. They'll welcome you in. But from my understanding, they're not going out preaching the good news of the Torah. You know, like that's that's more their God shows them. <laughs> they're more God shows people. So anyways, always causing a mess. And I try try to be humble and have mentors like, hey, what am I doing wrong? Because I'm not far from perfect. But so long story short, when Bob was there, a job came open at the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. And somebody that I was doing ministry with sent it to me like, hey, you should apply for this. 
It's like, really? And I checked, it was Archbishop Chaput and Jim Beckman and Chris Stefanik were doing the hiring. So I sent in my resume, long story short. Capable people. Uh, yeah. Too. Yeah. I mean, Chris Stefanik and, and Jim Beckman, very capable people. And I say that because there was a turnover without getting too much into I don't want to incriminate you, but there was a turnover in leadership and everything that you guys were doing. They decided to go a new direction. And that's about as charitable as I can state it. I'm saying these things so that you don't have to. But Oh, at the Archdiocese of Philadelphia? Yeah, at the Archdiocese of Philadelphia, yeah. which is why you're like, okay, time to start my own apostolate, because we were onto something. Yeah, there's so much detail. But part of that is because when I went there, so I was with Archbishop Chaput, and he's like, Jacob, I want you to dream. I want you to take this job, and I want you to dream. What we're doing in the church isn't working. And I was like, wow, that's a big responsibility. But just going around Philadelphia and looking at the churches, there was hardly any young adult or youth in the parishes, I feel like for decades we've been saying the youth are leaving, the youth are leaving. We need, at some point, we have to admit, like, they have left. <laughs> Elvis has left the building. Like, they're gone. And so, part of my conversion was a real big experience with media. When I was a high school dropout, two evangelicals kind of discipled me, made me curious. And one of them took me to see the passion of Christ. And it just really opened my heart in a new way. And it was such a conversion tool. Obviously, the relationships were so important too. But media played a huge part in that. So that's why at the Archdiocese, we created Anthem, renamed our office Anthem. And we had this apostolate and we did media. And there was a lot of people that loved it and loved the new approach. Obviously, we focused on relationships too. But like you said, with the turnover and leadership, what you know about in ministry, if we're going to be real, like it's not so much corruption. It's some people want to hold on to the past. They want to hold on to what they know worked decades ago, and it's safe to them. And so what happened is like after you have like a fearless leader leave, there's a huge tendency to go back to what we're doing before. And it makes the people there feel safer and more secure in what they're doing. And so I just saw the writing on the wall. And my heart has always been to go after the loss because I was there. I was, I was in their shoes. And so that's where I took. I was like, I've always wanted to do this. Now is the perfect time. And I launched my ministry called Dropout where we use media to try to like do pre-evangelization to spark curiosity. Cause I had tried in the past, I tried like programs like alpha and I never set out to create my own media. But what I found with the people I was bringing in, not saying that alpha doesn't work, obviously it works for a large portion of people, but for the people, a lot of people that I was bringing in that were kind of similar to me, alpha was not working. And then I would just like have to improvise and start going through like what I would do. And they're like, I like this. This is cool. You should put this together. And so that just happened so many times that I just like, all right, let's do it. And so that's why I formed Dropout. It's a really do the heavy lifting for the people on the ground, for those who want to evangelize their friends or talk about the faith with them, but don't really have the answers. So I really wanted to provide that service. There, I want to get into talking about the nuns, the not affiliated, those who are leaving the church. But before we go that direction, like there's a... There's a reality to starting your own apostolate that, I mean, it's scary. You're going out on a, on a limb. There's like this tension in terms of the calling and where you know your gifts are and where you know what your passion is. And I feel like being in the same place, having started my own apostolate and getting off the ground and being in a startup phase, there's a reality that 
I know what I want to be doing and I know what I'm called to do and I know what I'm good at and I know what the church needs versus like what people are actually paying for. It's like, no, I don't want to be a DRE in a parish. Like I don't want to run your programs that aren't working, but that's what you're paying for. It's like, okay, do I go out on a limb and take the risk and not feed my family? That's a very real reality versus like, I'll put it this way. I know a ton of gifted people who have either become disillusioned in the church because they know what needs to be done and where their gifts are, but they don't have the support to do it. And so they end up sitting on the sidelines, leaving ministry altogether, just saying, I'm just going to focus on being a solid Catholic, which is a great thing in and of itself. But I can't help but lament like what we've lost in the church. I'll tell you this story real quick. I recently was at a national youth ministry meeting because I work in youth ministry. And, you know, I'm 16 years in youth ministry. It used to be that all of my classmates, like I could go to a gathering of whoever and it was like a class reunion because knew a ton of people there. For the first time walking into a national leaders meeting, like I was like, I don't know anybody here. Like all my classmates who w- were working in ministry are gone. They've left because they can't support their families. They became disillusioned with leadership. They couldn't get the support. They got stabbed in the back. Whatever the case may be, you work for the church long enough, you'll you'll get hurt. I don't even know where there's a question in here, but <laughs> there's all kinds of realities to starting your own apostolate. Yeah, I think if we want to be, obviously there's a business side. And I had really good experience because once again, I was at the Archdiocese and Chapu gave me the resources, work with Glass Canvas. And you went through the mentoring process with Jim Beckman. I got to go through it. So just had a lot of good resources on that. I remember Jim Beckman in the training saying, you know, you can tell when the Holy Spirit takes him over. He had a set plan. He's like, let's start <laughs> talking about that. Like, he's the original godfather of ministry. So you can just tell when the spirit kind of possesses him in a good way. But he was saying, he mentioned that he wouldn't hire somebody for a big position unless he can pinpoint in their life where they've been broken at least once in ministry. And I thought that was so wise because I feel like you set out and we have all these plans and we get zealous and then we experience the reality of the church. And then it's a time to grow or Sometimes it's like, I can't handle this. And not everybody's called to ministry. Sometimes maybe the Lord is saying to step away, but sometimes it's discouragement. Like, what are you doing that? And I've had a couple of times where I've been really broke, but it's, I was able to heal from it. And all I can pinpoint it, I'm obsessed with the gospel of John. It's like my favorite book in the Bible. Obviously a lot of people listen to it are too. What I loved about John and what made him so mystical to me is that he was the only one out of the apostles to actually see with his own eyes the crucifixion. Like he got to be there and really see it, like what it meant that God loves us. And I felt drawn to John because my conversion experience or what really got me going is seeing the passion of the Christ. And that's where my conversion was. And I remember leaving the theater like, if this is really Jesus, if this is really God, I'm all in. Like it won my heart. And growing up in, in past wounds, I'd always dealt with rejection. I mean, there's a lot to go in there and we don't have to go there. Just in that movie, I could see past the violence and stuff and I could just see how much God desired me. And there's been so many times in church ministry where I've just kind of wanted, I'm like, you know what, I'm going to pack up shop. And then all I can think about is Jesus, like crawling on those stones, like just like giving everything he has, like naked, 
going to the cross, how much he desires me. And I'm like, dang it. (laughs) Why did you have to do such a dramatic act? I could go be a businessman, go get my MBA, be a lawyer, be way more wealthy, but it just continues to win my heart. And I feel like John in that moment that like, I'm not in church ministry because I love the church. Love the church. It's the ship that like you can just latch onto and know you're always going to be a part of the truth. But I'm not in it because of the church. It's kind of like the church is where I can just get the closest to Jesus. I'm in it because I love the Lord. I just, I want to love him back. And so that's what's kind of got me through my brokenness in ministry is just seeing it as, Lord, I want to love you. I want to do its best. If you want me in this, I'm in. If you want me to do something else, I'll do it. And that's always a tough discernment and you you never really know. And then you just got to go. You got to, you know, have good mentors and look into your heart. But that's what got past the experience I had at the Archdiocese and in the dropout and getting fired up about it is kind of that experience. I wish in the church there was more of an attitude of like you find a talented person who's on fire and zealous. And then you there's more of an attitude of rather than, hey, you seem like a talented person. I need to try to take you and your gifts and your talent fit square into a circle peg. Like, I wish there was more of building around people's gifts. Like, it's like, okay, this person is clearly gifted by the Lord. How can we build around their giftedness? What is it that they're passionate about? How can we put resources at their disposal so that whatever God-given mission they're being given is fruitful? You mentioned, and I want to get into dropouts, but there is, you made mention that you're not in the church because of the church. And I remember something, and I don't know if this is necessarily what you mean, but something my spiritual director said, who's a little bit disillusioned by the church as well, or at least under, I should say understands that. She said, I swear if somebody comes into the church these days, into the Catholic church, it's purely by accident. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like there's a, it's not because what we're doing to reach out to them is really effective. She's like, it's, it's actually quite the opposite. It's like, in spite of our, it, <laughs> yeah. like our, uh, total ineptness, yeah. somehow they found their way to Christ in the church, yep. which struck me because I was like, yeah, no, that seems pretty accurate. Like, tell us about the not those who are not affiliated, whether they've either left the church or never been raised in the church. I mean, there's a lot of people that can fall into that category, but what should we know about them? What are they looking for? Oh man, there's a lot of them. They're so diverse. Like one thing I'd looking at the stats, the unaffiliated. It says like 71% of them that have left the faith that are like Catholic dropouts just kind of drifted away. One third of them, they just said they haven't found the right religion. Like we always see them through these like agnostic, atheist, hate the church. But I just never have that encounter. You meet people like that for sure. But just working in college campus ministry, we had a free speech zone where we could just go talk with college students and stuff. And I'd get to talk with students and you just see the openness to spirituality. That's the saddest part in my heart. Is And that's why I wanted to start dropout and just see what I can do. It's not going to be perfect. I'm not going to reach everyone. But even if I reach like 0.5%, that's 30,000 people. Like That's how big our young adults, that's just young adults who are not affiliated in America. Like just 0.5% is 30,000. They're open. They're curious, a lot of them. So I think the first thing is we just get so scared of the culture. That's what I've noticed. Like, I think that's why I get in trouble a lot when I come into the positions. I'm like, let's go, because I'm coming from that background. But I feel like there's this fear. And I've also noticed like a lot of people that are 
I can just speak to like Newman centers and young adult groups, like maybe they were picked on or they didn't feel like they belonged. And they finally found a community that they feel like they're treated well. They have friendships and the idea of new people coming in kind of scares them because they finally found a home and they found belonging. But if we're in the church, we just have to have that desire to go get that lost because that's what Jesus is all about, obviously. But just going back to your original question, yeah, the first thing is kind of like reframe our idea of who the outsider is. A lot of them are open and curious and they most of them have just drifted away. And I think that's a huge eye-opening experience for people when they really get involved in evangelizing the unaffiliated. The second thing is to realize they're not in our pews. And most of them, if not all of them, are not going to step foot in our churches. And so what are we doing? Like if we're saying, yeah, we want to have new people come to our masses or there's even like life teen masses and stuff like that. Like most of them are not going to come into our pews. And also a realization like the mass isn't meant to be evangelistic. It's like for those people who are already in the covenant. Like in the early church, you can even go to mass until you're fully initiated. So we have to think outside the box. How are we going to do something different? How are we going to operate outside the walls of our parish to engage these people in conversation? Seldom do you see Catholic parishes and even Catholic chanceries that are really in a mission mindset that I see a very, in some cases, those that, that people flock to, they tend to have a monastic mindset. I mean, they're like, let's make everything beautiful and let's be really prayerful. And people are attracted to that, but it's a magnet. It's not actually evangelizing. It's just attracting Catholics who are disillusioned by their own parish experience or whatever. And then your typical parish is, is just trying to think of how do I minister to the people we already have? That's overwhelming in and of itself. And you don't get very many that think about how we're going to draw people in and what's their first experience going to be. Because you're right, it's not going to be mass. And I don't see very many entry points in your typical Catholic community for new people. Like there isn't an actual thought out process of here's how we're going to draw new people in, which is our mission. I mean, that's what Pope Paul VI said. The church exists to evangelize. It's the very why. Like uh, discovering your why is all the rage now with Simon Sinek and all these different businesses like Patrick Lancioni. So if we're going to say like, what is the why of the church? It is to evangelize. It's to go out and to preach the gospel and to bring that life to all the nations. But it is difficult. So I understand the holy conundrum (laughs) of reaching nuns. Shameless plug for you. It's tough. Yeah, thanks for dropping that in. Yeah, it's tough. And I don't blame people for being scared or be like, where do I start? But it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be doing it. We should be zealous for this mission. And that's why I think Pope Paul VI and John Paul II called for the new evangelization. We need new methods. We need new expressions. And going back to your statement on beauty, I get it. Like They're like, beauty will save the world. And so we want to make beautiful churches and art. And that stuff's cool. But you got to realize they go to beautiful museums. Like you can go to the Louvre in France and some people are drawn in by that beauty. But when nuns are asked, like in the book Reviving Evangelism put out by the Barna Group, they did a study with nuns and asked them like, hey, what's some of the main things? If you were going to come back to Christianity, what would you need? And there's a difference. There's lapsed Christians, those who kind of like attend on a semi-regular basis. 
and then sort of the not affiliated who really don't attend at all. Lapsed Christians, they're really looking for a spiritual experience. They just haven't encountered God. Nuns, the overwhelming, like 44% of them said the number one thing they wanted was more evidence that Christianity is real. We do have apologetics in the church and we do have programs like we're talking about with Alpha, but I just don't feel like any of them are really reaching young adult nuns, especially the ones I want to reach. So that's where I was really inspired by that call for new expressions and new methods. How do we satisfy those requests in a way that's going to be attractive to them? That's going to be not just like a huge book of apologetics. Like I call it like the Oregon Trail of apologetics. Like many start it, few finish it. It's just we make the process so long. Like have you seen 1883? I feel like that's apologetics the way we have it in the church. Like Aquinas is five, like just to get to like, does God exist? You know, it takes a PhD. So at Dropout, that's what I'm, where I'm trying to do and work with my designers and editors and videographers to figure out a way, honor those requests from nuns and meet them where they're at. And kind of put it in their language, but in a way that that can still draw them into the fullness of the faith. I'll tell you this. The mindset of the beauty will save the world drives me up a wall. Because I'm like, man, if that were true, why are all the churches in Europe empty? Because they're beautiful churches. (laughs) That's so um, true. I mean, it's true. That might have been true in Christendom, which is when all those churches were built. But it's not true in the world today. And I'm not anti-beauty. I think if we do things, we should do it well. But there's a reality, I think, that, I mean, just in your own experience, like you said, you ended up with a couple of evangelical friends. They invited you. You went to The Passion. A really well done movie. Uh, And in that moment, God's, you know, God used that to speak to you with where you were at. And it, it grabbed your attention. You're creating media to try to grab people's attention and answer their questions or create curiosity? Or what's the thought process behind your videos? Because I imagine if you're trying to reach like a young crowd, like th- that they're probably a certain length because people don't consume media that is very long these days. Like what's your thought process behind it? It depends. Like everybody says that. So videos for sure is a key to, to reach in young adults. And we start with articles and stuff like that. But if we're going to be real, like that's probably 5% of people that are actually going to read articles. Most you're going to get it through like podcasting and videos. But I would say this idea that they don't have an attention span for long form stuff is not necessarily true. If you look at it, like I feel like I'm really good at reaching people. And we're all good at reaching people who have similar interests. Sometimes we draw the opposite. But then we also can relate to people who have similar interests and hobbies and backgrounds. And I love the Joe Rogan podcast. That's sort of the type of listener or type of person I'm going after, like a young adult who listens to Joe Rogan podcast. I mean, he gets 190 million downloads a month on his podcast. And tons of them are Catholic dropouts. But his podcasts are like three hours. He puts out like two or three a week. And they're talking about deep issues. I mean, they have Richard Dawkins on there, Brian Cox, one of my favorite scientists. He was like an 80s boy band guy and went back and got his PhD. And I forget his exact PhD, but he's an amazing scientist. But they'll talk about these questions like, does the soul exist? Does God exist? What's the meaning behind the universe? So that he really gets in depth and people eat it up. So people are hungry. It's just 
what type of media are we putting out? Is it good quality? Is it great conversation? Are we investing what we have as a church to really try to go after them and use similar methods? And like you said, recruit talent that could have the possibility of reaching these type of people. For their attention span, it's basically the rule is you can go as long as it's interesting. <laughs> and obviously podcasts, you can go a little bit longer because it's conversation. And so many people are deprived nowadays in America that it just feels good to feel like you're a part of a conversation. So you can go longer form. But I work with like good videographers and stuff who will give me a general rule for videos and stuff. But that's what they say. I'll ask like, how long should this be? They're like, how long does it keep your attention? And high schoolers are different, right? They don't have the frontal lobe all there. But young adults are different. I mean, I'll listen. There's some podcasts that were like six hours. And I'll literally be in the shower listening to it. And I'll turn it off when I go to bed. And I'll wake up in the morning. And my first thought is like, man, I want to turn on that podcast because it was so good. There's other podcasts that are 25 minutes. You're like, boring. Yeah, that's really insightful. I, Having worked with young people, I feel like the amount of time that I have to communicate a message is getting shorter and shorter and shorter. But I mean, I was just doing like a, a middle school training this past weekend, and we were talking about like the reality of like TikTok videos. And it's like, you got like a minute to keep their attention. If you've worked with middle schoolers, you know, like their attention span is not very long. But it's interesting that it's like, yeah, that there's so much hunger out there in and among dropouts and young adults that it's like, if they find something that is that's really grabbing their attention, they'll stick with it and listen to it and, and become captivated by it. I know that one line that I like to use when I'm, teaching people how to engage with young people. As I said, look, we do a phenomenal job in the Catholic Church of answering questions that teens do not have. Yeah, like we don't do a good job of answering the questions they do have. It's like, why in the world are you talking about sacraments with a young person that is struggling to understand whether or not they believe in God or not? It's like, oh, well, our curriculum says we need to cover sacraments right now. It's like, why? Yeah, don't even get me started. If there's anything that's like my pet peeve is you can't catechize the unevangelized. I mean, there's always exceptions. Have you seen that? Do you remember? I think it was like early 2000s, a chick flick. He's just not that into you. And <laughs> sorry, I'm embarrassing this movie, but it was based around this rule that these girls would date these guys. They wouldn't be very interested, but some girl would always have this story. I know I have a friend who dated a guy. And they weren't together or like he wasn't interested in the beginning. Then they fell in love. But the whole movie is about like, they're always like, there's always this exception they use as a rule. You use the exception as a rule, the rule as the exception, like you flip it. And I feel like that's what's happening in the church. I'll like say, dude, you can't catechize the unevangelized. Like, well, I know a guy who watched Bishop Barron's Catholicism and, it, and he loved it. And I was like, oh, there is exceptions. It's not a flat out rule. That is never going to, but it's it's usually true that you can't, they're not going to be drawn in by a, a something that's meant for an intellectual formation once you're a disciple. Even just the person who watched the Catholicism series, it's like, how did they accidentally end up, like, unless they've been evangelized, they probably don't have a curiosity to say, hey, this Catholicism series I, I hear is really good. Like, I'm going to listen and watch it. Like, there's a step in the process of them hit and play on that catechetical series that is evangelical in nature. Like, unless they just accidentally come across it and are like, oh, what's this? Those are the exceptions to the rule. But most people are going to need the basic 
evangelization message and need it delivered in such a way that it's consumable before they get to a point where they get curious enough to start asking questions about the intricacies of a faith. Yeah. And I'm going to say, if we're going to be real on your podcast, I'm going to say Bishop Barron and Word on Fire, although they say it's an evangelization ministry. It's not. I would say it's more of a discipleship ministry. And I don't have, I love Bishop Barron. Like I consume him all the, like his content all the time. I loved when he was sitting in the library and talking about things. That was super cool. And I'd be in campus ministry and where I saw, because I would bring in these people who are not evangelized. And like in the church, we don't have much. So I would throw on a Bishop Barron and I'd watch and dudes were passed out in the back. (laughs) Like they're like, oh, it's Jake's boyfriend on again. And (laughs) But it didn't. Work, but what it did work, what I saw when I went into campus ministry, there was a lot of, especially guys who weren't very intellectually formed in the faith and they would do like silly songs and, you know, this like silliness, which drove me crazy about the the faith. You have to be like, super, like sing, I don't want to be a sheep, Baba, um, like get me out of here. So I'd introduce them to Bishop Barron and it would really help them form them intellectually in the faith. And it really helps on that aspect. That's what I would say. That's where he thrives. Wait, real quick. You were in college campus ministry and they were singing songs about sheep. (laughs) Oh my gosh, dude. On what? 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 That's like something you do with second graders, you know? Anyway, go ahead. Exactly. No, dude, it drives me crazy. Coming into ministry, I just experienced like, I feel like when they, when you say you got to reach out to youth and campus, like people are insecure and they just try like really silly things. They kind of make a butt of themselves. Like I'm all about humility and ripping on yourself for sure. But there's a difference between silliness and humor. Like Dave Chappelle is funny. The sheep songs are not funny. (laughs) So that's, that's another pet peeve. But going back to like to the Bishop Barron, that's what, trying to reach nuns and those who have left the faith, like who are unevangelized, we have to come up with these expressions. We can't use, I wish we could use the catechism. The richness of our faith is right there. But that is divine revealed truth that you can't really assent to and believe without the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, these people don't have the Holy Spirit within their heart. So we have to figure out a way to reach them outside of the catechism, outside of the mass. Once again, we all know a person who's went to mass and had a conversion. But as a rule, it's not meant for evangelization. But that's what's cool is we have this opportunity to like really be innovative, to really figure out new ways, new methods, new expressions that can speak to their heart. And Jesus is our model. He told stories. He laid out the truth, but he used the artist storytelling. And so that's what we try to do is try to lay out, like right now I'm running a series called I Need Evidence, but I'm trying to lay out the evidence for Christianity that isn't evidence from a catechetical standpoint, but evidence like what we call in like theology, like fundamental theology versus dogmatic theology. Like the things you can understand and know before you have the gift of faith. What I try to do is use that evidence and lay it out in stories. And through personal experience and the idea I had when I was coming up with the I Need Evidence series, because I went through this, I had to search the evidence. It's almost like where Dante was with Virgil when he was going, I think he was going through the inferno. Like he had a guide and I almost felt like my story, my experience, I'm not going to reach everybody, but I could guide those who would be drawn to me and my experience through what I went through and kind of guide them through the process. 
If people want to know more and learn more about your ministry, find your videos. I'll put out a plug for this real quick. If you're a listener and you'd like to give a contribution, a uh, financial contribution to Dropout Ministries, because let's face it, young Catholic entrepreneurs need financial support. Somebody out there listening should be making a, a contribution. Like, Jacob, where can they find you? Go to my website, wearedropout.com. And if you want to donate <laughs> and <laughs> help good. us reach the lot, yeah, to do media, it takes money. So you can just click out our donate button and uh, be eternally grateful. But you can also find us on the our Instagram page, We Are Dropout. So those are the two places we're living. And you can sign up for our just email. So we'll drop all our content in your email if you don't want to go to the Instagram account. So just go to our website. It's um, right on our main page. Just put in your email and we'll, we'll stay in contact. I threw out the financial thing real quick. Quick story. I was a long time ago, we were doing like a, a parish mission type of thing. And I brought in a, a Catholic youth speaker who just, it was, I, I don't remember the, the context, but there were like a handful of people in the pews for it. And the guy did a really good job. And I got up at the end of it just saying, hey, real quick, we're going to pass around a collection basket. And just so you know, like Catholic lay people are called into ministry. This guy's got five kids. He's got, <laughs> I, I mean, like, like he's called into ministry. He's a gifted person and we need to support him. And there's a missionary call. And we need to support people like this so that they, and the per, like pastor on the basket to like whatever, 25 people that were in the, in the pews. And just making that appeal of like the reality of what it is to be somebody who's going out on a limb and, and kind of supporting their family on serving the Lord. He like more than tripled what he expected to get. Like he, he had asked us for a certain amount of money. We said, hey, can we do a collection instead? And he ended up with triple the amount of what he had asked for to do the gig. So just making the pitch and talking about yeah. the reality of like, hey, those of us who are lay people in the church, we got into this because we felt called and we're trusting that the Lord will provide. And hey, you are the people that are going to make it happen in terms of us being able to provide. Totally. And there's so many good things to give to. And people are so generous. And I would say like, if you find my ministry, if you have a kid or you have like a grandkid or a nephew or a niece or whatever, and they're outside the church, they've dropped out or they're struggling with the faith. And you think my ministry can maybe be helpful towards them. Dude, I'd love to have you as a donor, but there, there's so many good ministries. But yeah, I would say that's what my ministry is geared towards. So let's, let's get those who have dropped out. Let's get them back. That's my experience. I dropped out. And you're here and we're in ministry ultimately because it's everything that we need. Like he, he's the answer to every longing of our heart, but he also is the truth and the evidence is on our side. Thank you for joining me on the podcast, Holy Conundrums. And again, your website is, we are, we'll say it again, we are dropout.com. Yeah, we are dropout.com. And on Instagram, we are dropout. Thanks. All right. Thank you all for listening until next time. Mm-hmm.